Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and this week in Reykjavik, um, it's dark here right now, it's uh, just a few hours of sunlight every day, we're reaching the darkest time of the year, and while that does bring with it a certain strangeness, it also leaves absolutely loads of time for playing games as the evenings draw in. Um, I really look forward to this time of the year, if I'm honest, um, when it gets dark and you draw the curtains right after you finish work and grab something to eat and relax a little. And there's just a good, solid block of time in the evening for watching a bit of World Cup football, if you're into that kind of thing, or playing a game or doing both. I've spent a bit of time playing games on my monitor with a little World Cup game on the side screen. And it's been really fun, especially because England won their first game, so it's been a good start to the World Cup for England. And I've had plenty of good games to try out, and there have been two that I played most in the last week, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them both. First of all will be God of War Ragnarok. I'm continuing through that one, playing a chapter a night. I'm reaching the end game now, and the story is heating up a little bit, but I will have a couple extra thoughts about that one, spoiler-free of course, um, which I'll talk about. I've also been playing a lot of Vampire Survivors, a game that has been on the radar for a good long while, but I was waiting for it to come to console. Something about it just made me want to play it on a controller on a console, and so it arrived on Game Pass last week, and after not being able to install it, weirdly, for like a good five, six days, I was just getting an error, it finally downloaded, and I've been playing... Um, a couple of sessions of that each day for the last week or so. Um, so that's going to be the featured game of this episode. There is some interesting stuff around how this game was made, the guy that made it, um, its viral success, and what that has meant for him. So I'm going to touch on some of that stuff. It's quite an interesting game, and it's got quite an interesting story. But before we get into God of War and Vampire Survivors, there have been a couple of interesting little bits of news that dropped this week. Uh, one was the surprise release of Norco, one of my games of the year. I did a, a review of it on the show earlier in the year and an interview with the developer of that game as well. It's it's a really, really good game. You may have heard about it already. It has been nominated for one game award, um, but it arrived on Xbox and PlayStation. It was supposed to come earlier this month um, and then an announcement came that it was going to be delayed with no uh, release date. And so we really didn't know when. I thought it would be delayed for quite a while. There was just something about the last minute nature of the delay announcement that suggested that maybe it was having some problems. Um, but here it is. It just dropped. It's on Game Pass for Xbox. It's on PlayStation. Um, I've given it a try on Xbox. And it's it's a game that I enjoyed playing on a mouse. And I would still say, if you have the option of playing Norco, uh, on a computer with a mouse, then that's the way I would suggest you play it. But I have given it a try with the Xbox controller, and it has an interesting control scheme. So I really don't like um, using a mouse cursor on a controller, and that is one of the options here. The left stick is mapped to the cursor, which you can move around like a mouse pointer. Um, it's a little clunky and off, but the good news is that... Norco's interface is such that you're looking at static screens, um, looking for objects to interact with, clicking on dialogue options. And so there is actually an option here where you can use the D-pad 
um, to move between interactables on the screen. Uh, and that works much better than the cursor. So I think that it might take a, a second to get used to it, but I think that the fact that that has been included is a really good thing, and it does mean that Norco is going to be playable on a controller. Um, so I say if you haven't got the option of playing it on a computer, um, don't let that stop you. Uh, play it on console. This is a great game. It's a story-led game. Lots of text, lots of wit, lots of uh, darkness, lots of surrealism. It's a really fascinating game. And if you're a fan of things like Disco Elysium and Kentucky Route Zero and that kind of interesting, artistic, story-led game, the kind of game that is made for this podcast, really, then definitely make sure that you play Norco this year. Uh, be ready for some reading, settle down, listen to the music, get some headphones, and, you know, get some snacks, and just settle in for Norco, because it's a really special game. So Norco is out now on Xbox Game Pass and on PlayStation. And the other piece of news that I was interested in this week is that The Witcher 3 has had a date announcement for the next-gen upgrade, which is going to be free for anyone who owns a copy of the game. That's coming out for PlayStation 5 and the new Xbox consoles on December 14th. Um, and I've got a bit of history with Witcher 3. I bought a physical copy of the game at the same time as I bought my Switch, um, but I didn't really get into it on Switch. Um, maybe it was to do with the blurry look of it and the general bad performance, but I bounced on it. Um, and I bought it for £10 on sale, because it's often on sale, really cheap on PlayStation 4. And I've been meaning to get to it, but I thought, you know, I've waited this long, why not wait for that next-gen patch and play it in the, the best possible version that I can play it? So when that comes out on December 14th, I'm planning to play The Witcher 3 across this winter. Maybe I can just finish off a couple big games, like God of War Ragnarok and other games that are hanging around for me. I still have to finish Red Dead 2, actually, but The Witcher 3 could be a good game for me for winter um, and the start of 2023 when it's dark and snowy outside. It's great to have a nice big game to tuck into like that. So I'm really looking forward to playing this one. Apparently, this version comes with lots of UI and quality of life improvements. It has cross-progression for people that have been playing it on different platforms. And it has a photo mode, which is new. Kind of surprising that it didn't have one already, but the new photo mode is there. So maybe they are so proud of the way that it looks on the next-gen consoles that they were finally moved to add that photo mode. So we did get a date for that. CD Projekt Red have come through on their promise of releasing it this year, and that will be out on December 14th. I've also added a couple games to my um, my planned long list for the podcast. One of them is Pentiment. I've mentioned this one before, and you may well have heard about it if you follow Games Media. It's the medieval RPG um, that looks like it's been drawn onto parchment with a pen and ink, um, it's been getting 10 out of 10s, and I have that downloaded on my Xbox now. I'm really looking forward to playing it. I'm very intrigued by Pentiment. Some of the stuff that I've heard around it um, has me really interested. People have been praising the humour of it and the storytelling of it and how it integrates the visual style with the core concepts of the game. So Pentiment is definitely on my list to play before the end of this year. Um, I also got an email in my inbox about a game called Togs, spelt T-O-G-G-E-S. Um, it's described as an open-world 3D platformer, and if you know my taste in games, you will know that that really ticked a lot of boxes for me. I have a lot of nostalgia for 3D platformers, and I wish that there were more of them being made. Uh, but Togs is an interesting one in that... 
it's an open world 3D platformer. It's very colourful um, and simple, um, but it also has a stacking mechanic that's at the centre of it. So your character can make blocks appear, it looks like, from the trailer. Um, and so you can stack blocks to create stairs, to create platforms for yourself. Um, and it has a, a really nice Nintendo look to it that just got me interested right off the bat. So I requested a code for it. I have it downloaded on my PlayStation, um, and I'm planning to try out TOGS as well. It's out in December. Um, I thought I would mention it here in case anyone is interested in looking that one up, especially if you're a, a 3D platformer fan. Uh, TOGS could be one to put on your radar. There's a game that I actually started this week as well. I was looking for a game on Switch to play. You know, if you have like a, a game that you like to play when you're kicking back on the sofa and you don't really fancy being in front of the screen and uh, addressing the screen and concentrating that much. It's really nice to have a casual game that you can just tuck into on a mobile phone or on a Switch. Um, and one that I've been meaning to try for quite a while based only on recommendations from people is Owlboy. Um, I will often do threads on Twitter where I say to people, like, what is the most um, underrated indie game that you wish most more people had played or something like that? Um, I've been doing it lately and asking people, what is the, the game that you think should be on the Game of the Year awards lists that definitely won't be there? Because I love to hear about outsider games, underdog games, games that have gone under the radar a little bit. And Owlboy is a game that comes up quite often on those threads about underrated indie games. It's a pixel art 2D platformer, um, but you play um, like a human owl, like an anthropomorphic owl. And so you can fly in the game. You can fly between platforms. So it's not like you're jumping, trying to make pixel-perfect jumps. You can fly around. You can land to interact with things that are on the platforms, to talk to different characters. You can also carry people. So you can pick up like a security guy who has a gun. And at that point, it becomes like a twin-stick shooter. You're controlling the owlboy with the left stick. You're controlling where the gun is aiming with the right stick. And it becomes like a really interesting mix of 2D platformer and twin-stick shooter. Um, I've only just started it, really. I've just gotten out of the tutorial area and into the first real dungeon of the game. It has some light puzzling. It has some light exploration elements. Um, it has a, a light story. And so it's it's a, generally a pretty light game, which is the kind of game that I want on the Switch. Uh, but it's so light that I'm not feeling intensely drawn back to it. Um, I am going to try and play more of Owlboy and, and not fall off it too early, because you know how it is if you do like a couple of sessions and then don't play it. You feel like you you fell off before you really got the thread of the game, if you know what I mean. So I do want to keep trying to uh, get the bug for Owlboy, especially seeing as it came so recommended. Um, it hasn't grabbed me straight off the bat, but I have started it on the Switch, and um, I do hope to continue it as well. Um, over on the PlayStation 5, I've been playing God of War Ragnarok, the blockbuster game of the season, triple uh, A um, widescreen Sony production. Um, and I talked about it a little last week, and I'll probably talk about it again. This is quite a long game, um, I have 25 hours in it so far. I think I'm around two-thirds through the game, moving towards the end game now. Um, and it's getting hard to talk about it without spoilers, I suppose. <laughs> like, um, I, I habitually share screenshots while I'm playing games. I will often take a screenshot, pause what I'm doing, share a screenshot to Twitter, 
uh, with a comment about it. Um, and almost every time that I've taken amazing screenshots in the last five, six days of playing Ragnarok, it's been a spoiler. Some of it is characters, some of it is just scenarios or bosses or interesting places that you might come to. And I don't want to spoil the game for anyone, so I've really had to bite my lip and and, and not share my progress in God of War Ragnarok. Um, but I have been live-tweeting my playthrough in a non-spoilery way. Um, I've been talking about how good the scenario is, how good the characters are, um, and the facial animation on Kratos is just absolutely amazing. I love where the story is going. Um, but I've also been tweeting a little bit about having a few problems with the gameplay um, in that I'm just not enjoying the gameplay that much. Um, there are lots of puzzles in this game involving getting lifts to go up and down, uh, freezing lifts in place, um, using water to turn water wheels, um, getting gates open, portcullis gates, using chains and using your frozen axe. Um, there are some new elements like sigil arrows that will... Um, take the frozen impact that your axe makes and move it across an area uh, mapped out by arrows that have an area of effect. So you can move that frozen effect from place to place. Um, and they've been using that in puzzles, but I have to say, these puzzles are doing my head in. So I'm playing God of War Ragnarok, I'm enjoying the combat, I'm enjoying the set pieces, the bosses and the story, but you spend an awful lot of time in this game with puzzles, um, and I'm, I'm really done with them. I find myself rolling my eyes and just um, half playing the game, you know, like absentmindedly going through these very simple puzzles, um, just wishing that I didn't have to do them so I could get to the next story beat. Um, and I think that that's a bit of a problem. Um, given the, the huge critical praise that this game received, I'm feeling a little surprised because there are various aspects of the game, of which puzzles are only one, that feel a little dated and clunky to me. Um, so it's been a really interesting experience playing God of War Ragnarok. I am glad I'm playing it. It is glossy. It is big. It's definitely, you know, the gaming equivalent of watching a new Avengers movie or something like that, um, which says a lot in itself, actually. It's more, it's more Marvel Universe than... Last of Us, if you know what I mean. Like, the seriousness of 2018 has given way to something more cartoony and that feels more like mainstream entertainment and less like a story being told with a with gravitas. Um, so it's been an interesting experience playing through it. I, I'm looking forward to finishing the game. It is coming to a crescendo, which I guess is even in the name of the game, God of War Ragnarok. Um, and I'm very curious to see what they do with Ragnarok in the game. And if if we do live out the myths that we all know about Ragnarok, or if it's some twist on the formula. So I'm going to keep playing God of War Ragnarok. Um, and I, I might well talk about it again. I might well do a full review episode. But I have been enjoying sharing my thoughts about it, just to, to express that viewpoint. Um, and there have been a couple people that have come back on Twitter or Instagram and said that they've had um, similar feelings about the game, that it seems like some of the critique around the game has overlooked some of its flaws. I don't know if that's because it came with a reputation and an expectation, or if it's just a matter of um, taste, uh, and other people are less bothered by boring puzzles and clunky gameplay. Um, but I am surprised 
that it did get that 94 on Metacritic, given the experience that I'm having with it. But expect a full episode on that one in the future. And finally, before we get into the Vampire Survivors review, I would like to say a big thank you to the newest patron of this podcast, Flat Out Fox, who joined last week on the 250 tier. Um, it's great to have a new patron. It's great to have someone new in the Discord. So thank you very much to Flat Out Fox for joining the Patreon. Um, you too can join the Patreon if you would like. It's at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Um, in exchange for that, you'll get a thank you here on the show. You'll get an invite to the Discord server, a really nice little community where lots of people are talking about games every day. Uh, we've been talking about the World Cup a lot. We've been talking about our favourite ever sports games. There's been a lot of chat about Vampire Survivors. Um, there's been a lot of chat about God of War Ragnarok. People are playing all kinds of things. Um, so you're welcome to come and join us. You also get access to a whole back catalogue of bonus episodes that are only for patrons about all kinds of things. So if you would like to support the podcast, join the community and get those extra episodes, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with all of that said, let's move on and talk about the featured game of this episode, Vampire Survivors. So Vampire Survivors came out in October of 2022 in its 1.0 incarnation, um, but it was released in December of 2021 in early access. So it's been around um, for almost a year at this point, and it has gone wildly viral in that time. I think it would be fair to say that Vampire Survivors is the viral game of 2022. Um, I've been hearing people talk about it all across that time, and I've had it recommended to me for the show several times, um, but it was initially only available on PC, um, and I was quite keen to wait for it to arrive on console. There was something about it that made me want to play it on a controller in a console environment without faffing around getting a controller to work on Steam for Mac, which is always such a strange amount of hassle. So... I was really happy to see it arrive on Game Pass, um, and that was the excuse I needed to dive in. Um, the game is by Luca Galante, aka Ponkel, um, who previously worked on software for the gambling industry, uh, more on which later. He started working on this game um, whilst out of work in December of 2020, and he was partially inspired by a game called Magic Survival. I have looked that one up, but unfortunately it's only for Android. I would love to give it a try. It's on the Google Play Store. It's another Horde-based shooter like Vampire Survivor. Um, this game really took off. It looks like in February or at the very start of 2022, um, it went absolutely nuts. Just as Luca was starting a new job, uh, the game just completely popped off. Um, there was lots of demand for updates, lots of demand uh, for features and more levels and lots of interest in general, just as the game went totally viral. And so whilst it was a solo work in the beginning, um, Luca did get help from friends, in inverted commas, based on an interview that he gave to the enemy earlier this year. Um, I got a lot of my information about um, the, the progress of this game and the path of this game uh, by reading around interviews with Luca across the last year. I'll post a link to that enemy interview in uh, the show notes if you would like to check it out firsthand. 
And the game has done very well critically. It doesn't have a huge amount of reviews, which I was a little surprised by, but it has just hit uh, 1.0. Um, it has 86 for PC based on under 20 reviews, and it has 95 on Xbox from just a handful of reviews since it landed on Game Pass. Um, players are rating it similarly highly. Um, it has been nominated in the Game Awards for the Best Debut Indie and it has been one of the games in the commentary surrounding this year's Game Awards nominations that a lot of people seem to think should have been up for Game of the Year. People love it that much. Um, even for a game with such simple pixel graphics um, and such a simple concept, people really adore this game. And so there have been calls for it to uh, you know, be in Game of the Year considerations. And I've got a feeling that it will be appearing in a lot of Game of the Year lists. It's certainly the viral zeitgeist game of this year, um, and and deserving of that status. Uh, How Long to Beat says that you can beat the game in 10 hours if you want to see credits, and 34 hours if you want to 100% it and get all of the trophies. Um, I've played about five hours of the game so far, so I've only just scratched the surface of all of the unlockables that you can get in this game, including extra characters and so forth. And I've only played the first five or six different levels of the game. Um, so I'm really just at the start of it. So this review is going to be based on on early impressions. Um, so if you're expecting late game stuff, it won't be here. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, and if I do, I will talk about the game on a future podcast again. Um, and the devs describe vampire survivors like this. Mow through thousands of night creatures and survive until dawn in Vampire Survivors, a gothic horror casual game with roguelite elements, where your choices can allow you to quickly snowball against hundreds of monsters that get thrown at you. There's no place to hide. All you can do is try to survive a cursed night and get as much gold as possible before death inevitably takes you. And my brief summary of this one is that it's a strikingly simple and startlingly addictive arcade game that coined a whole new genre overnight. You start off weak but quickly become satisfyingly overpowered as you carve your way through an ocean of pixel enemies that slowly overwhelm the screen in a mesmerising cacophony of destruction. And what Vampire Survivors is, is a little hard to get into, but... It looks like an old 16-bit arcade game. It is made from um, asset packs. So Luca has said that he bought asset packs of sprites that he could use and backgrounds that he could use uh, based on the, the visual style of looking a little like Castlevania, which is a style that he was drawn to. Um, and so this game has a very, very basic looking style. It looks like it could be on, uh, you know, decades-old consoles. It definitely smacks of retro games in a way that has appealed to a lot of people. It speaks to the uh, the, the nostalgia of, of games gone by, and it has a simplicity that is a little like that as well. Um, to try and describe what it actually is, it's a mob um, shooter in which huge amounts of enemies flood onto the screen, all gravitating towards your character, who is in the middle of the screen like a little tiny animated dude, um, and they flood towards the character, um, and you have to wipe them out by powering up your weapons to be screen-clearingly powerful from initial uh, weakness, basically. Um, and so in that respect, it is part dungeon crawler. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Muzo games as well, like the Hyrule Warriors um, series. I think that's the only one that I've played of that type, actually, where you're just smashing hordes of enemies away from you. A very specific 
um, genre of Japanese game. It's also reminiscent a little bit of twin stick shooters and bullet hells and things like that, where there is just an awful lot going on on the screen. Um, and you're doing like evasion and destruction with your gameplay. Um, and it also has a little in common as the final ingredient with something like Loop Hero. Um, it is described in the, the dev's description as a casual game. Um, and I would say it's a little like an idle game as well in that all you really do is move the left stick to move around. All of the attacks are automatic and on a cooldown. Um, and the choices that you make are what kind of weapons you would like your character to have going forward. So it's really all about choices and builds. I think everyone can have a good time playing this game. I don't think that it's massively skill-based. And I think that it, it escalates and snowballs so quickly that you really do get a satisfying experience every time you play it. Um, the roguelike elements mean that you do get more powerful as you progress in a way that is really, really uh, satisfying too. Um, and perhaps the real hook of this game is is that simplicity and crispness of concept. It almost reminds me of something like Space Invaders or Asteroids, like the, the simple template of a game that is so effective, so addictive, so crisp, that it goes on to spawn an entire genre. And indeed, Vampire Survivors has done so. If you search for Vampire Survivors on iOS, where the game is not yet, you will get screens and screens of results. It has spawned many, many clones. Um, but the only one that people are still talking about is Vampire Survivors. Um, and so it might well be that this is a seminal game that just um, has invented a genre all by itself in a way that we don't see that often. It is a breakthrough game, and it is very impressive and very interesting to have a breakout game that has coined a genre in the year 2022. And there has been a little bit of discussion online about what to call this genre. Vampire survivors, like, isn't going to work. It's just too much of a mouthful. I did see someone on Polygon positing automatic horde shooter, uh, which does what it says on the tin, I suppose. It's also like a single stick shooter. It's like an idle shoot 'em up game, um, but nothing is quite stuck yet. So, you know, the jury's still out on what we're going to call this brand new vampire survivors genre of video game. <laughs> So when I was started playing Vampire Survivors, I thought this is a fascinating game, but I wonder if there is enough here to merit a podcast review. And as I started taking notes about it to try and find out, I was surprised by the fact that I had pages of notes pretty quickly. Um, so there is a lot to talk about with this game, despite the simple nature of it. And it is a very simple game to play. You really only use the left stick of the controller to move the character around. And the only time that you press the button really is to advance past power-up menu that will occasionally pop up. Um, so with the first starting character that you get, the, they have one weapon, there's the whip, it lashes out in front of your little pixel art character. And so you have to be facing the way that you want to attack. Um, and so you start off running around, enemies start to encroach onto the screen. Um, you only have your horizontal whip lash as the weapon. And so at first you feel a little vulnerable, um, but you start off with pretty basic enemies like bats or skeletons, and they die with one hit. Um, so what you're really trying to do is to maneuver yourself into position so that your whip lash 
will hit them, they will die. More enemies are coming all of the time. They're piling onto the screen. Um, you will start to get more powerful enemies that take a couple of hits fairly quickly, like werewolves and minotaurs, killer plants that appear in a ring around you that you have to break out of. Um, you'll start to get shielded enemies that have a white outline around them. They take longer to kill. Um, there'll be swarms of enemies, like, you know, 20 bats that come across the screen very, very quickly. And you can either avoid them or go aggressive and plow straight through them if you're feeling confident in the power of your weapons. Uh, you will also occasionally get mini-bosses. These are just larger versions of enemies that you've seen already. So if you're being swarmed by mantis-like creatures, eventually a giant mantis will appear on the screen and you will have to stay out of its path, try and use pushback to keep it away from you, try and get it into the area of effect of your strongest weapons and take it out. When you do so, it will drop a power-up for you. And in this game, if anything touches you, then you lose health. You see a little spray of blood animation around your character. Your character flashes white and your health bar goes down just a little. Um, and the game ends when you are overwhelmed. This is usually when there are just too many enemies around you and your weapons aren't powerful enough to keep up with the flow. Um, and so there is a feeling of holding back the tide in this game. Um, but usually there is a very satisfying moment in a run, especially as you learn the ropes of the game, where you do actually feel like you are getting more and more powerful and that you can hold back this uh, tidal wave of enemies that's coming towards you. Um, and that's a very, very satisfying moment in this game, especially the first couple of times that it happens. There is no question, really. This is a very exciting, very engaging, super invigorating, fast-paced and impressive game where you get to feel powerful quickly. Um, and that's probably central to its like hyper-addictive appeal that's seen it do so well. One of the things that impresses me so much about Vampire Survivors is that whilst the concept is simple, if there wasn't enough to the gameplay, if there wasn't progression, if there wasn't a feeling that you were getting better and getting stronger from run to run, it could have been seen as a novelty game that people just played for a few minutes and then bounced off. Uh, but this game has a little bit of staying power, and I think that's because the, the gameplay loop of surviving, getting powered up, um, taking on these waves and waves and waves of enemies, uh, moving from level to level, unlocking different characters, and all of that progression that is built into the game has been done very mindfully and very well in a way that I find very impressive. And when you do your first run of this game, at first you are basically playing defense, um, as a, to use the American pronunciation, uh, defense, uh, to use the English one, but you are playing defense in this game. You are maintaining a space around yourself. You are running away from enemies um, and trying to hit them with your puny attacks uh, by dodging and weaving. Um, and then slowly as you start to power up, and I will talk about the different weapons and impressive power-ups that you get in this game, um, you start to feel like you can take on these waves and so you're not running away anymore and i think that 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 balancing act is one of the more interesting things about each run in vampire survivors is that you're it's like a pair of scales 
um, and it's it's going each way. And it starts off with all of the weights on the enemy side, um, but every time you get a power-up, you're dropping one more little weight onto your side of the scales, becoming more and more powerful until you're really cleaving through groups of enemies and you, you stop running away and you start feeling more aggressive and starting to feel liberated. And that process of starting weak, getting strong, it's like the entirety of games like Horizon and God of War, in fact, you know, you're very, very incrementally improving in strength. But in this game, it's compressed into 30-minute runs rather than 30-hour games. And so you're getting all of that satisfaction just mainlined into your veins when you're playing Vampire Survivor. It's a very cool gameplay loop. And I really enjoy that tug-of-war feeling that the game has, where it's like all of the enemies are pulling on one side and you with your power-ups are pulling on the other. And it's a real to-and-fro, like can you get ahead of the curve? Can you power up enough? Can you collect enough crystals? Can you get enough weapon upgrades to increase your stats um, and to be able to play on the offensive to carve through the horde and survive? Um, you know, at the end of runs, even though you start off with just your puny little whiplash, by the end, you're doing these huge area of effect um, screen-clearing attacks that just feel intensely satisfying, um, and the enemies are coming at you, and it's like a wave breaking on the rocks, the way that they break on your your area of effect attacks. It's just very impressive and very fun. Um, and throughout the run, the waves will intensify until the entire screen is bustling with enemies. It's like a twin-stick shooter nightmare, and you're just in a tiny little island of stillness in the centre of this vast, bustling ocean of pixelated monsters that are just flashing, taking damage, and trying to get true to you. And it, it, that feeling of holding back the tide is, is, is really interesting and unique to this game. Um, if you survive wave after wave after wave, it gets mega, mega intense towards the end of the run. Um, if you weather the storm, eventually the screen will clear, uh, death will appear, wield the scythe, and take you. Um, and in this game, that's considered a win. So if you manage to, to brave the storm and survive through to the end of the level, you did it. You vampire survived. Um, and then and when you go back to the menu, you'll have loads and loads of gold to upgrade yourself. There will be new levels or characters um, unlocked for you. And so no r run is wasted in this game, which is like the key of the roguelike formula, I think, to, to make it feel like everything that you're doing is, is worthwhile, and Vampire Survivors manages that. And how you get the power-ups is a big part of this game too. Um, there is a collect-a-thon um, feel to it in the leveling up aspect of this game, because you have to run around collecting gems. As you are taking out those enemies, those first few enemies that start drifting towards you will drop a little blue crystal, and you have to grab that crystal. Um, but as you start to take out swathes of enemies, they will drop an awful lot of crystals all over the ground. Um, and even as they're being dropped, there are more enemies swarming over them. So you have to do this kind of risk and reward gameplay where you're like, can I dive into this crowd of enemies here to collect all of these crystals? Because when you collect a certain amount of crystals, you will level up. Um, and a very interesting decision was taken in how the leveling up works. In such a fast action game, I can't believe how bold this is really, but the game pauses automatically. A little UI screen will appear and you will have a choice of three different weapons or boons that you would like to claim um, as you are leveling up. And the variety of weapons is maybe what makes this game 
um, good to me in a way because every run feels a little different. Um, but finding builds that you like, finding favorites, trying out all of the different weapons, experimenting with seeing what happens when they power up and when they evolve, seeing what works for you has almost got like a Hades-like quality to it. Not quite as fully developed in terms of the synergies that you'll get in Hades, um, but it's it's in that ballpark. And all of the different weapons can result in some pretty wild builds. Um, when you get a power-up, it will stack. So if you get like two or three of the same power-up, that weapon effect will get more powerful until it eventually evolves and turns into an ultra-powerful form. Um, and you can choose all different kinds of weapons. I'm going to run through a couple of the ones that you start off with, with the first character. Um, the whip is your base weapon, and that is that one that I described. It's like a little white lash that appears on the screen horizontally, only in the way that you are facing. Um, but as you power up the whip, you will get a lash in front and behind of you. Um, and that's one of the most interesting and useful um, early game power-ups that you can get because you can hit behind you as well as hitting forward and that really changes how you play. Just that simple level two whip power-up um, really, really helps you out in the early game. Um, you can also get a Bible. That's a book that orbits around you. It starts off as just one. And so I actually didn't use the Bible very much at first, but I realized that when you start powering up, it goes to two Bibles, three Bibles, up to six different Bibles that are rotating around you like a shield. And that really allows you to just plow through, carve through um, the waves of enemies in a really cool way. Um, you can also get fireballs. Um, these like emit from your character and fan out um, in one direction quite slowly, doing damage to anything in their path. Um, there is a cross. This is like um, something, it sort of homes in on the nearest enemy. And it starts out with just like a spinning shuriken almost. And as you power it up, it can become very, very powerful, shooting out five different crosses that just wipe out everything in their path. Um, you can get knives. These are... Um, just small projectiles that shoot out very, very quickly in the direction that you are facing. And I used the knives a lot in my first few runs because it means that when you're running towards a group of enemies, um, you can play very aggressively. Like rather than playing um, an evasive style at first where you're trying to maneuver away from enemies, um, shooting knives in the, the way that you're Walking enables you to walk straight into groups of enemies, especially when you have five, six, seven different knives or shooting out in a fan shape in front of you. They pass through enemies and you can power them up to pass through more enemies. Um, so knives were really, really fun as one of my early game choices. Um, but the most overpowered of the, the early game um, weapons that I have encountered so far are the garlic which gives you a destructive aura. These rings appear around your player and they fade in and out. Um, so they are on cooldown, but when they are visible, any enemy that runs into them will immediately start taking damage. Um, lower level enemies will just crash onto the garlic like waves and just all die around you. So you can just walk through the middle of a crowd of low level enemies and they will all die. As you power up the garlic, the the area grows until there is a really big buffer around you. Um, the cooldown reduces, the damage goes up. Um, and so that can be an incredible uh, choice for preserving the space immediately around your character, which is really the name of the game. Uh, one of my other favorites is the lightning. Uh, when you first get it, it just strikes randomly somewhere on the screen. It will hit an enemy. It will usually kill them. Um, but as you power it up, 
There are many, many, many lightning strikes happening all over the screen that really, really becomes very helpful. And when it goes into its final evolved form, it just crisscrosses the street, the screen with lightning. And if you've worked on your cooldown power-up, it happens again and again and again in very quick succession. It's one of those satisfying screen clearing um, evolved weapons that you can go for. So lightning is a big failure, uh, favorite of mine. Uh, garlic, lightning, and the, the Bibles spinning all around my character has been my go-to. Um, you really don't have to exercise any control. Um, you know, the, the direction that you're walking in doesn't matter. It's all about protecting the area immediately around your character to prevent you taking damage, creating space, safe space for your character, and then the lightning just clearing the screen all around you. It's very, very, very satisfying. Maybe the most idle and casual of all of the uh, the configurations of power-ups that you can get, but so satisfying. Um there are also a bunch of different boons that you can get that aren't weapons, for example. Um, as you're walking around collecting crystals, they will magnetize to your character. You will draw them in, but only in a very, very tight area. So you have to get very close to a crystal in order for it to magnetize to you and to pick it up. So you can collect an orb that will grow that area. So things gravitate to you from further away. And um, this is usually, I consider this to be a luxury pick. So once I'm powered up enough to stay alive, I will start collecting orbs. And that means that eventually you're pulling in crystals from all over the screen, just like a vacuum that allows you to level up that much faster. Um, you can also choose spinach, which raises your outgoing damage by 8% every time, stacks up to 50%. That can be vastly useful in the mid game, I have found, when your weapons aren't quite doing enough damage to kill everything that encroaches on your space. You really need the spinach to power up your weapons and take enemies out faster. You can collect armor that raises your defense. You can collect wings that raise your movement speed. Um, you can collect the hollow heart that raises your health. Uh, and one of the most OP boons is the duplicator. This is a ring that you collect that um, just adds one projectile to all of your weapons. So if that's lightning, crosses, knives, and garlic, then it will just add one level to all of those weapons. And if you've got several weapons, the duplicator just takes you to a whole new level straight away. Very, very, very satisfying. As for the evolved weapons, I'm not exactly sure when a weapon evolves. Maybe it's if you get it past level four or level six or something like that. Um, I have had evolved lightning several times. I've had evolved fireballs several times. It just means that the weapon takes on a new final form um, and takes on a kind of a mass destruction mega version of that initial weapon that you got. Uh, the whip, for example, if evolved, will turn into hu two huge red lashes that seem to cover like a quarter of the screen and they just uh, get critical hits and they kill everything amazing really and the evolved lightning is 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 fantastic it just crisscrosses the screen and just wipes out waves and waves and waves of enemies you can also pick up um items that are dropped from destroying scenery such as a candelabra for example um, there's only two items that are dropped uh, three rather there is a coin there is a gold bag and there is a floor chicken in inverted commas which replenishes a little bit of your health uh, when you max out all of your powers, and it does hit a limit where you've maxed out, you've got the maximum amount of weapon types, and you've maxed them out as far as they can go, eventually you'll just hit a maximum, um, and after that, all of the power-ups and leveling up will just drop floor chickens or gold. But by the time you reach that, you've usually survived for a very long time, and you are clearing the screen wherever you walk, hopefully. So at this point, you'll be hoping that you get to, to witness death 
um, to have maxed out and completed the level. Um, and that's where the meta progression comes into play. So all of the gold that you get from leveling up and from picking up pickups and from um, picking up power-ups where there is like a gacha style mechanic where a fruit machine will spin sometimes and you'll get a random power-up after defeating a mini-boss. I think that's where the gambling thing comes in. Like it's not surprising to me that Luca, who created this game, um, does have a, a background in, in just releasing serotonin in the player's brain basically to make them continue playing it is very addictive there's lots of gold flying around um, there's lots of coins glittering the screen and glittering the screen um, and at the end of every run you have a certain amount of coins which you can then spend on unlocking permanent power-ups for your character so that's where the roguelike element really kicks in you can increase your base stats such as the damage done uh, the damage dealt um, the armor speed health gold magnetism, luck. I'm not exactly sure what luck does. Maybe it's just um, the rate and power of power-ups that you get. Um, you can get a duplicator, which is a permanent power-up. That means every time you select a new weapon, you arrive on level two instead of level one. Very, very, very useful to have. Um, you can get health regeneration over time, which is very, very powerful and allows you to survive for much longer because if you take damage, it will slowly creep back into your health bar if you manage to evade uh, any uh, enemy attacks across the following period. Um, there is even a single extra life that will regenerate you with a small amount of health when you die. And so all of those things just really maximize your chances of success. Um, you get gold from every single run. Um, so every run that you do, even if it's short, will result in you being able to have a better chance the next time that you play. And this is just huge. This is really a tenet of the roguelite genre, um, feeling that every time that you play, that there is a meta progression and that you're always moving forwards is really what breathes life into this kind of game, I think. Um, so to finish up, I mean, I will say that I'm still on the first character of the game. I haven't even unlocked the second character yet. I'm five hours in. Um, and I assume that they will have different starter weapons. It looks like rather than the whip, sometimes you will start with the magic wand or the fireball or the crosses or the Bible. And that will completely change the way that you approach the early game um, in that you'll have to approach enemies different, differently and um, address the issue of creating space around your character differently in the early game. Um, but it is all very simple. Um, the gameplay is idle. Um, and, and really just making the choices. It's, it's like you can't go wrong to some degree. Like, if you can stay alive then and find weapons that work for you in the early game to allow you to stay alive, then you will end up with something crazy. And in fact, I would say it's best to not get too comfortable in this game because the different weapons that you have not tried uh, might just have unforeseen effects in their evolved forms that are really entertaining to play with. Um, and if the game keeps drip-feeding new characters, new weapons, new levels, like you start off in a forest, then you move into an industrial area, then you move into a castle and so forth, 
um, new uh, enemy types flooding towards you. Um, all of that combined um, has a lot of staying power, I think. So the initial fleeting novelty value of this auto horde shooter gameplay could be stretched out. Um, I've heard from people that have played through the entirety of this game that have tens and tens and tens of hours in it. And so I'm just enjoying playing like a run a day. Um, when I first started it, runs were like five to ten minutes. Um, now that I've got a powered up character, pretty much every run is about half an hour long. Um, and you're really just trying to complete levels. And so it's hard to fail almost if you just engage with the mechanics um, and use the gold that you have and choose weapons that you know are going to work for you at different stages in each run. All very addictive, all very fun. I would say that this is a brilliant little game. I would say that it's a must-play for indie game fans. It's just a fascinating breakout viral success of this year. Um, I'm very happy for the success of it. I'm very happy that despite being um, a rudimentary-looking game, it's just an ingenious idea and excellent um, decisions that have been taken in designing this gameplay have resulted in just a, a breakout hit that's getting mass exposure that shows that not everything has to be, you know, uh, 4K, 60 frames a second, massive open world experience. You can have a little arcade game um, and it comes down to those brass tacks, those great ideas that made games like Space Invaders matter. Um, that's Vampire Survivors. <laughs> So that was my review of Vampire Survivors. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you have Game Pass, you can play that one on your Xbox now as part of your subscription. If you are a Steam player, you can pick it up for three or four dollars. Um, the game has had a couple of updates even since um, the 1.0. There are some interesting looking new uh, varieties of gameplay and I've got a feeling that this game is just going to keep growing given the success of it, given the viral success of it, given the fact that it's even got a nod at the Game Awards and that it's going to have another uh, lease of life come Game of the Year time because I've got a feeling it's going to surprise some people um, and scoop some big prizes there. I imagine that we're going to be hearing about Vampire Survivors for quite a while yet. If you would like to tell me about your favourite builds, if you would like to set me straight on anything that I've got wrong, you can come and find me on social media. I am Gaming in the Wild on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. I just got a Hive account. I'm trying out Hive that new social network that uh, Twitter escapees are trying out. You can find me there too, if you can figure out how to search for people, that is. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode. Maybe it will be about God of War Ragnarok. Maybe it will be about the Entropy Center. Maybe it will be about something else completely. I will mention that it's really helpful if people rate the show on Spotify and leave ratings and reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people to find it, helps the show rise through the algorithm. So thank you very much to everyone who does that. I see all of the reviews, I check them, and it's really heartening to see. You can also support the show via Patreon, patreon.com slash gaminginthewild, if you would like to become a patron. Uh, that's all from me for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>